I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to my podcast, Second Chance. A word of warning, this episode contains disturbing details of the injuries victims suffered during a terrorist attack. My guest today is a survivor of the Manchester Arena attack where 22 people were killed at the end of a concert by Arianda Grande. Martin Hibbert and his daughter Eve were the closest casualties to the bomb blast to survive. He suffered 22 shrapnel wounds and was left paralysed from the waist down and his little girl, 13-year-old Eve, also suffered serious head injuries. This is not a story about a terrorist attack. It's about the heroic story of a father and his daughter who, despite the odds and their life-changing injuries, continue to live their lives with hope, determination and purpose. Just um, just set the scene for me, Martin. Where are you today um, and how's your day been so far? Now, if, if, you'd, if you'd have asked me that question over the last week, I'd have said sunny Charlie, Lancashire. Uh, but for whatever reason, it's gone a bit overcast. We've had beautiful weather for like a week. Uh, we've been sat outside. It's been like 24, 25 degrees, which is very unheard of in the northwest, as you probably know. <laughs> Cold up north, they say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's not been. And it's been really funny because uh, I've, I've been speaking to a lot of my friends and, and, and contacts in London. And you've had the opposite. So we've been had beautiful weather up, up north and you've been having rain and stuff. So for once... Uh, we've had we've had pretty good weather when you you haven't, which is unheard of. Um, so I'm just catching up. I'm a football agent, so this is my busiest time. So literally, if if I turn my laptop around, I'm li- I've literally just got contracts and paperwork everywhere, and trying to make it make some sense out of it all. So yeah, so that that's my day today. So this is a quite a nice little uh, kind of break away from from what I've been doing. I've, honestly, I've I've literally been. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been literally all over the country, just talking with clubs and managers and players, and and now this is the uh, the final bit now where we do the paperwork and get it all rubber stamped and approved and and sealed, and then uh, I can I can relax and uh, normally go on holiday, but that that won't be the case this year. No, I, I, it's interesting. You don't get to hear the inside story from a from an agent very often because it, it feels like I'm a big football fan, so. Um, I often see one player move from one club to another and, and you think it's purely on talent and the need to fill a position, but also for the player to progress. And you're shaking your head to sort of say, no, what is it then? What is it, Martin? I don't, I don't think it's ever, obviously with technology and things like that, as we've just seen now, just even getting onto here, the things that you have to go through now, football's exactly the same. You know, it's all about stats, data, analytics, sports science, it's it's on all that as as well as ability, attitude, and everything else. So you know the days of managers and agents conducting a transfer that they're, they're long gone now. You know the scouts, there's sports science, there's recruitment teams, there's sport directors, there's there's all there's a there's a, a raft of 
of kind of risk assessments now, uh, just because the money, the money paid now, even in the women's game, you know, the the, the ideal, uh, the majority of things in now, you know, it's coming into that now. So the, the days of just going on name and things like that, it's just long gone. There's there's data, there's heat maps, there's there's all kinds of things now that you've got to, which is great. Uh, but obviously clubs are, are more, you know, they're not they're not going around spending millions and millions of pounds on injured players or players that aren't going to fit within, you know, the team setup or the, the attitude or the personality or more importantly, the culture. You know, football now, every club has a culture. Players have got to fit into that now. So you could be a Lionel Messi or a Cristiano Ronaldo, but if you've not got the right attitude or the right kind of mindset that that can actually put clubs off now you know it's not it's not just about turning up on a, a Saturday afternoon or a, a Sunday afternoon as it is now or a, a Tuesday Wednesday or a, even a Thursday Friday uh, as well these yeah, days yeah exactly yeah it, it's just not like that anymore and uh, honestly the the hoops you have to go through now it's not you know the days of me speaking to a manager about players is just gone now I speak to you know sporting directors head of recruitments Head of scouting, like general managers, honestly, the honestly, Raf, the people you have to speak to now, it's um, like does it not all start from a manager who thinks a De Bruyne or a Sterling? Or, or... No, not necessarily. And, and and this is the sad thing, you know. I think what what happens now, and again, obviously, I'm not saying every club is like this, but I think what you get now, a manager will say, right, I need. Uh, this summer, he'll, he'll sit down with the chairman or the investors or the recruitment team and he'll say, right, I think for next season, uh, we're going to need a centre-back, a midfielder and a striker. Whereas maybe 10, 15 years ago, they'd have gone, right, I want Rio Ferdinand, I want Roy Keane and I want Ruud van Nisselrooy. You, you can tell I'm a... You can tell I'm Man a new fan, fan. yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? They don't do that now. So what they do, they'll say, right, I think for us to compete next year, we're going to need a centre-back, a right-back, a midfielder, a right-winger and a striker. What will then go out, like literally, they'll go to this... This is like 12 months gone, you know what I mean? So they're always working a season ahead. So they'll go out and they'll, you know, like the scouts do, they'll go all over the world, they'll scout players... And they'll normally have like a, maybe a top five for each position that fits the way that they play, the culture, you know, fits within the mould of kind of the age group, you know, the, the type of, you know, loads of different things. And then they'll come back and go, right, uh, Raf, I can get you this centre-back, that, and then the manager might go, right, well, you know, get get that one. Do you know what I mean? So it's all it's all pretty much done for him and put on a silver platter but again, I've heard some things where they don't know who's coming in through the door until it happen, until they come through. I'd rather see a McTominay or somebody come up through the youth, a Marcus Rashford, rather than us going out and spending hundred million on Erling Haaland. You know, give me a Greenwood or a Rashford any day because that's what Man United's all about. Well, look, I mean, yeah, deep-rooted football and we could talk football all day long. But that's not the only reason that that I've invited you. Onto the podcast today, Martin, because you have um, what I think is a very sad but inspirational story. And I think that's telling in the energy that you ooze from, from your personality. So, look, tell me what happened on the day that you experienced something you never expected to experience. I, I don't know how to phrase it because I want you to tell me how you would phrase it. But where does your story begin? You know, you're at home, you're preparing to go out for a great evening before things went wrong. How do you tell your story, Martin? Do you know what? It probably, it probably, the story probably starts December the 25th, 2016, when I surprise Eve with concert tickets. Eve uh, is? Eve is my daughter. So she was 14, uh, she was 13 at the time. And just to paint a picture, uh, me and Eve, we love music. We love going to concerts. That's what we did as daddy and daughter. And she'd always said, you know, if Ariana Grande comes to the UK, we've got to go, Dad. And it was like, right, don't know who she is, but as little girls do, wrap, wrap, us, around our, uh, wrap us around the fingers. 
Uh, now, again, me, me being an agent and having contacts, uh, I had a, a contact at the uh, a, a guy who owned uh, one of the VIP boxes at the arena. So if any of my players or if I wanted to go, we, we always went in a VIP bit, but Eve had never, never kind of been in that. And because it was a Christmas present and wanted to kind of show her how the other half lived, uh, I said, like, you know, let, let's go and do it and, and give her the, give her the full, you know, the, the, the full experience. So gave her the tickets on Christmas Day and she was over the moon and you know we had we had pretty much kind of five months to get ready for it. Uh, so the CD was always on. Every time she was in the car, it was the same CD and I was learning the words and you know we were just getting ready for it as, as we would do with, with, with any concert. Uh, and then um, the twenty second of May came. A lot of people forget it was a Monday, a Monday night. People think that the concert was a weekend. It wasn't. It was a Monday. And Eve was doing her mock exams. Uh, and you, I think you've probably been to a few concerts uh, in, in your past. Uh, we know the Americans never come out on time. Um, so I knew it was going to be a late, a, a late do. Uh, and I had, I had Eve's mum in my ear saying, you know, don't, don't be bringing her back at two o'clock in the morning. So there was always, there was always a discussion or there was a discussion that we would probably leave during the encore. Uh, just so that we could get out. Obviously, we had the VIP box, so we had VIP parking underneath. So it was a quick dash to the car park and then out and then home. Great. So we 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 decided we would probably leave probably around about half ten, all being well. And uh, yeah, obviously we had a we had a great time. Uh, weather was beautiful. We went to our favourite restaurant. Uh, before the concert uh, in Manchester, uh, uh, a restaurant called San Carlo, had a beautiful meal. Um, was it just uh, you and your daughter Eve at this point, or did you have friends going? Yeah, with no, you? it was just me and me and Eve always did the concerts, and and I say that was just what we did. Uh, it was just our little pact, and uh, like I say I, I was brought up on music, and I wanted Eve to to be to be the same. So music's been a, a very important part of my life. I had a good a good upbringing. My mum was into the Beatles and Fleetwood Mac, the Carpenters, the the sixties, Motown, great, great, great um kind of education into music. And I wanted Eve to have the same. So again I've I've pretty much done the same with her. She still likes all the boy bands and everything else, but you know, when when I hear her you know playing the Beatles or Motown or Jackson Five, I, I'm always like I'm keeping it going, you know. I'm keeping, I'm keeping it going. So yeah, I had a beautiful meal, and I remember kind of looking over at my daughter, and she she looked beautiful as she always did. But I, I just remember sitting back in this restaurant, and I was just looking, and I and I and I just remember thinking, she's not my little girl anymore. She, she's turning into a woman, and I, and I said to her, I said. You know, I said, I'm going to be getting knocks at the door, aren't I? And she was like, what do you mean, what do you mean, daddy? And I was like, I'm going to be getting knocks. She did, she looked stunning. Uh, she had a bit of makeup on and, and I was like, this is it. This is, this is it. You know, she's, she's, she'll be doing her exams. She'll be going to college, university. And then before I know it, I'm going to be walking her down the aisle. Do you know what I mean? It was just like, it was literally that moment just kind of flashed. And I thought, do you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to celebrate it. You know, I'm going to embrace it. And and I did something that I've not done before, and I took a picture of us and put it on my social media. And I'd, I'd never done that with Eve before. Like I said, I just I just wanted to embrace it and celebrate it. Uh, so I took a picture of us, and, and that's become the infamous picture of us both kind of raising a glass. And I always look at that picture and I think, God, look at us. You know, it's like we're so happy. But four hours later, we're fighting for our lives. So we we go over to the arena. We have a fantastic concert, you know. I'm I'm doing some really dodgy dad dancing, <laughs> you know, like literally like the worst. Like I'm I'm glad nobody nobody took took videos of it because it'd just be, yeah, ridiculous. I didn't care. Like I was there with my daughter. We're having a good time. It was a Christmas present, and we're in this box, and she loved it. She loved the fact that she could go out into almost a terrace. Really, right, almost touch Arena Grande. But if she wanted a bit of food and a, a coke or whatever, she could just go and get it. She loved it. It was a perfect night, honestly. It couldn't have gone any better. It was an amazing concert, absolutely amazing. And you know, kind of again, kind of looking back, I I almost had to drag her out at half ten. You know, 
you know, I've been in that car park an hour and a half trying to get out. It's just, it's, it's ridiculous. There's, there's one road in and one road out and, and, you know, it's, it's pandemonium. So yes, yeah, so, and, and like I say, I, I just didn't want it in the air when I got, when I got home uh, with, with Eve's mum. So, so yes, yeah, so we, we, we got out at half 10, made our way through, uh, obviously the, the city room and we, we, we got pretty much kind of just around the center of the city room. And obviously that's when, you know, everything changed and, and Salmon Abedi uh, at 10.31 uh, decided to detonate uh, a suicide bomb that was packed full of nuts and bolts. I've only recently found out that we, we were actually closer. Normally, I t- normally, this is the time where I say I'm 10 metres away. Found out two weeks ago we're actually six metres away. From where he detonated the yeah. suicide bomb. I shouldn't be here. We, we shouldn't be here. I've, I've seen a picture... Uh, I went over to Greater Manchester Police a couple of weeks ago just just to see some footage. I saw a, a picture one second before detonation, and I, I was looking at that picture for thirty minutes because there was Sam and a baby. There's me and Eve. The next picture I saw, everyone around us is dead, yet me and Eve survive. And it's just, I just honestly can't get my head round it. Um, so I I suffered thankfully. Where I was stood with Eve, I've shielded Eve from the blast. So I've taken 22 shrapnel wounds. But all my consultants, all the experts can understand how we've survived, bearing in mind that those pieces of metal were travelling at over 100 miles an hour. And you were that close, six metres. Yeah. Uh, people died instantly. There were people 40 metres away with one injury that died. And here's me, six metres away with 22 injuries, all nuts and bolts lodged in my body. They all miss vital organs by millimetres. Obviously, the two more serious, one hits me in the centre of the back, totally severs my spinal cord uh, at T10. So in layman terms, I'm paralysed from the belly button down, and that, that would have been instantly... So I, I do remember falling. That's because that's why uh, the second one and, and the, the one that they were most uh, worried about. Were one, I don't know if you can see it on the thing. It looks like a love bite. You can't you can't see it. One one hit me in the neck, severed two arteries, and that it should have gone straight through. Uh, but again, the guardian angels that were looking over us. So it, it goes hits me in the neck, severs two arteries, and I swallow it. Ends up in my stomach. Nobody can understand how, how that has happened. It's a, it's a miracle. It shouldn't have happened. So basically, they, they get me into a scanner, which, again, I'll show you. I'll, I'll send you the, the image, which, which I'm pretty proud of, of me, uh, obviously, an X-ray with all the bolts in my body. So they look at it. They obviously see all these holes all over my body, and they see one in my stomach. So I've got a nice scar where they've ripped me open, pulled everything out, but there's no holes in any of my organs so they put me back in the scanner and they see obviously this one and that it's all charred all the way down. So that's what happened. So I have a life-saving 14-hour operation. Before you, before you talk about the operation, at the and, and obviously you don't have to answer my questions if you can't remember, and I know a lot of what you say is on reflection when you can, you, you know, you've processed it all over the years. But at the moment that this terrorist detonated the bomb, I mean, we see it in movies uh, and we hear other people's stories and we, we, we see this kind of, there's this, and in movies, they kind of slow everything down. You see this flash of light and then there's this like. this ringing sound. Just talk me through what you can remember. I mean... That is what it's like. That's what I was going to say. It's almost like, you know, if, if you watch like war movies and stuff, that when I do interviews, that, that's what I say. You know, it's almost like a ringing in your ears, disorientation, I knew something serious had happened. Obviously, I didn't know that it was a bomb and that I'd been so severely injured. But I, 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 can't, I can't breathe. I can't, I, I'm almost like, oh, God, what, what's happening? You know what I mean? And that's when I fall. And then, obviously, I can see I'm losing a lot of blood. Uh, and it's almost like, it. obviously, you, you know, you people say, well, were you in pain? We, we, you know, I was like, no, I knew I was dying. Obviously, I could see Eve had taken a nasty bolt to the brain, uh, so I could see she was dying in front of my eyes. Uh, so you were not knocked unconscious. When you went down, you were not unconscious. You were able to... I, I probably was in and out, but, um, you know, I kind of woke up on the... I, 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 when the bomb goes off, 
I almost, again, I almost like something's hit me really hard and I'm winded and, and, I, and I can't catch my breath. So I'm panicking. I'm going, oh, God, like, what, what's happening? And then I fall to the floor, might be knocked out for a few seconds, but I wake up and basically I see Eve dying in front of my eyes. I see that she's taken a, a really, a bolt's gone through her brain, basically, which obviously as a father you, you never want to see. Uh, and I'm choking on blood. And I can see a pool of blood, so I know, you know, it's not good. And I can, I, you know, the, the the smell and just, you know, I knew I knew something serious had happened. And then obviously it wasn't until, you know, people are with me that they tell me, you know, a bomb's gone off and that, you know, people are dead. And you know, and I, and that's when I kind of say, look, I don't think I'm going to make it. Um, you know, we tell my wife I love her and. Yeah, just my, my brain's just saying, look, you're not going to make it, Martin. You've got one job to do, stay alive, make sure Eve gets out. And, and, and that's what I did. Um, I kind of tell it as almost being like jet lag. My body's telling me to shut down and go to sleep, and I'm, I'm fighting it. I'm, I'm fighting it because uh, I know that when I close my eyes, I'm dead. I'm, that's it. I'm, I'm dead. And, and, and Eve's got to get out. I've got to make sure Eve gets out and gets help. If, if she gets help and gets with a, a, a paramedic or an ambulance, she's got a chance. And that's just what I keep telling myself. The last thing I see is, is I thought it was her being moved, but since I've seen what I've seen in terms of the sequence of events, it's me that gets moved first. So my last vision is, is seeing Eve, and then that's when I think she's safe. So I, I close my eyes and think, that's it. You know, so got... you saw the paramedics uh, attending to, to little Eve, and at that point you... I say you relaxed, but I mean you—you you were able to sort yeah, of. Because honestly, Raph, it was—it it was a real battle. Like, you know, like I, I kept saying to Chris, the uh, the guard that was like helping, like stem the blood flow. I was like, Chris, I'm not going to make it. I'm dying. I'm 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 I'm, I'm going. Like, please tell my wife I love her, and, and and hopefully I've done all that I can. And Chris is saying, look, stay with me, please. Like, stay with me, stay awake. Kept saying, what's your name? Where do you live? And I was like, I can't, I can't do it anymore. It's just, I can't do it. Um, I'd lost so much blood, and you know, the the, the injuries uh, were, were so severe. Uh, you know, the shock I think had just taken over. But I tell everybody, I wasn't in any pain. Um, I wasn't panicking. It was a, an almost a look. This is it. You know, you know, uh, an acceptance to the situation, and yeah, just a. This is it, you know. When they um, got you out of the arena uh, and little Evie, did they at that point know that you were together? Did they take you together or were you separated? What happened? They, they taught me, for, and again, I've only just found this out over the, over the last couple of weeks. I've, I've, I've seen a sequence of events now from literally before we got to the city room to basically when we're putting ambulances. A good time. Can I just interrupt you there? This, this happened how long ago? Uh, 2017. Four years. So- so why is it only recently that you've started to see stuff that helps you piece together what there's happened? There's a lot. I, I don't want to get into it on, on here, obviously, because there's an inquiry going on at the minute. Uh, so there's, right. There's a lot uh, of kind of uh, legal stuff that I can't get into. No, of course. I thought it was more that because of what had happened, you, no. you couldn't bring yourself emotionally no, to no, watch. I've, I've been I've been wanting to see it, uh, but obviously because there's an inquiry going on at the minute and talking about the deceased and things like that, uh, obviously they're, they're front and centre, which is fine. Uh, but I, I'm due to give evidence at the inquiry uh, next month. Uh, so as part of that, I said, look, you know, if I'm going to do what I'm going to do, I want something in return. Uh, so they, and, and, and thankfully, uh, the, the chairman of the inquiry agreed and, and they put together a sequence of events because I, I've not been sleeping, Raph, for, you know, I've, I've been waking up at two o'clock every morning, you know, just reliving it. Um, so for, for the first time in four years, I know what happened. I know how we got out, who got us out. And, and, and one of the things, like you just mentioned there, one of the things that really stuck with me was, was Eve on her own. Uh, and thankfully, she never was on her own. We were always about 10 feet away from each other. So for the first time, I feel, I, I I felt that I'd failed as a dad, and I still do in a way. Did I do everything that I could? You know, is it my fault that we were there? But I, but I just felt that because, and, and you probably say it, um, you know, I'd, I'd made a promise to Eve that whenever whenever she was with me, she's safe, nothing will happen, and I, and I've and I've brought that promise, so I feel like I've failed as a dad. 
How? I mean, even at the the moment that the the terrorist set his bomb off, you were there beside your daughter, and as you said, you took the full blast, which protected her. So even at a moment that was completely beyond your control, you were still protecting your daughter. So you should never, I'm no therapist, but you should never think like that. And I hope that that you accept that because surely that is a sign that even at the very moment you were there, if not deliberately, but you were beside your daughter and there's no other place you've ever wanted to be, you know, whether it's at a concert, at home, taking a selfie at that restaurant. And at the moment that that guy detonated his bomb, Martin, you were there. You took 22 shrapnel wounds and protected your daughter from everything but one. And that one will always get through. It always does, you know, and uh, and I know nothing, but, but you know, I just wanted to say that because I think it's important. And from everything you've said up until now, it's, it's testimony to how much of a brilliant dad you are, even at a moment like that, that is completely beyond your control. And everything that happened from the moment 1031 onwards was completely beyond your control. Just tell me, Eve received a vital hit from one of the shrapnels and it went into her head and out the other side, you say? Yeah, te- temple to temple. So we, we think she's the only person to survive that injury uh, in the world. Uh, and again, I've, I've, I've recently found out that the coroner was ringing her hospital ward every day because they, they didn't think she was going to survive. So again, I, a, lot, a, a lot that happened, they, they didn't tell me at the time, obviously, because I, I was in a bad bad way myself. So I'm only kind of finding things out um, now when I'm asking questions or or kind of pushing people to, to kind of tell me or, because again, it, you know, people don't want to relive it. You know, Eve's mum doesn't really want to relive. You know, she says, you know, the, the image that she saw, the x-ray that she saw of her brain and it's not there it is something that'll haunt her for, for the rest of her life, you know, and she was, she just couldn't believe what was happening, you know, but yeah, it's, uh, but just to go back on that last point, I, I, and, I, and I agree and, 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 I, and I know that, but it's just that like when I, when I see Eve at the weekends and stuff and it's just like, I, I said nothing had happened and, and it has, do you know what I mean? And, and that's what I can't um, get my head around. Do you know what I mean? That, it, that it's kind of happened on my watch type of thing. And I, uh, I, I don't know if I'll ever kind of get my head around it, but I do. I, I struggle with it. I really do. I, I give myself a really hard time about it. Well, I hope you do. And I hope, you know, that that as, as time passes, and I know it hasn't yet or enough time, but but I hope in time, you will see, you know, the brilliant dad that you are. And I'm sure Eve already recognises that. But, but you know, it is a burden, is a way for you to carry. But I do hope that you get through that, that Martin. When you arrived at the hospital and they carried out these examinations, they discovered the, the, the bolts that were inside your body and had gone through your body. Were they able to remove these bolts? And was that vital in saving your life? Yeah, yeah. So I had a, a 14 hour operation and, and, and obviously a, a lot of it was my, my spinal cord had been completely severed and there was fragments from that. There was obviously all the bolts. So yeah, so they, they basically went in by hand and, and, and did it. So that's why it took so long. And so it was pretty, pretty touch and go for a couple of days. I was in intensive care and in a coma uh, for, for a few days. Because I, I was unidentified as well. Obviously, they, they got Eve to hospital pretty quick. But because my wallet and phone, I think, must have been in my hand, I didn't have any identification. So my mum and my wife and my brothers thought I'd died. Uh, so they didn't find me for a good four or five hours. Uh, so they, they thought I'd died at the scene and just been totally, uh, you know, obliterated. So, so they've been affect, they've been affected mentally. Uh, like my wife's been, you know, she she suffers with anxiety and, you know, still still suffering to this day. You know, because of, of what they went through. So their their experience is probably a bit different to, to mine in a way. You know, but yeah. So I think they were they, they were obviously glad to see me. Uh, obviously, I was intact. Uh, my spinal consultant. Said said to my wife and my mum, you know, it, it's it's looking like he's going to be paralysed. Um, we don't know at what level, uh, but we don't think he's going to walk again. Uh, so obviously that wasn't a, a nice thing. But I think at that at that point they were just glad that I was there and alive. And then, 
yeah, just obviously they didn't tell me for a good a good few weeks about what what had happened in terms of my paralysis. Um, I think they wanted to to make sure one that Eve was okay because again she she was touch and go for a, a number of weeks just because of, of of the significant head injury. How is she now? Do you know what she's she's doing really well. Obviously, she's uh, she's suffered a, a catastrophic brain injury, so she's you know when when I was in the hospital, she, they they said that. She probably won't be able to see, hear, speak. She won't have any memory. She won't be able to move. Uh, but again, typical Hibbert. She can see, she can hear, she can speak. She's eating. I had a great video a few weeks ago of her walking up and down some stairs at school. Um, she's at school full time now. She goes to a, a special needs school now. But she's just hitting it out of the park. So proud of her. That's brilliant. That's really good to hear. Really good but to she, hear. And, and, and like me, you know, it's... I think if we wanted to throw in the towel and just sit in a corner and cry, I don't think anyone would, you know, kind of not let us do it. I think they'd say, look, with everything you've been through, crack on and I'll, I'll come and join you. But it's just not the Hibbert way. It's just not the way that we've been brought up. You know, the, the way that I was brought up was, you know, whenever I fell or kind of came off my bike, it wasn't, oh, come here. And, you know, it was like, that wasn't very clever, was it? You know what I mean? It was like, Right, dust yourself down, get back on your bike, do it again, keep going. And and, and that and that's what life has been like for me. And I think had it not been that way, I think I would have died that night. You know, there, there was no way that I was gonna die on a cold concrete floor. No way at all. Uh, and, and and that's been the attitude ever since, you know, when I was at the spinal unit and it's how I live my life now, you know. To go through what I did, to go through that process of you dying you're not going to be here, to come to terms with that, to accept it, to make peace with yourself, to tell somebody, to tell your wife that you love them, and then to wake up a few weeks later and be alive, even if you haven't got your legs, I'll take that. You know what I mean? And that's been the attitude. I've survived for a reason. I'm pretty certain I know what that reason is now, and and that is my life now, and and that's what I'm going to be doing, uh, and that's my goal in life now, you know, because we shouldn't be here. You know, all the experts or, you know, nobody can understand. When, when you see a picture a minute after detonation and everyone around you is dead, but you two survive, there's a reason for that. I'm not religious, but there's a reason for it. I, I don't waste a day now, you know. We live for today. Now, we don't worry about yesterday. We don't worry about tomorrow. We just worry about today because that's all that we can do, you know. And I, and I hope people hear what you say there because it's such an important testimony. I mean, your experience has driven you into that corner, but it sounds like you were that kind of character and were teaching your daughter to, to be of a similar nature. And it's no doubt you, you grew up. When you came to terms, and when I say came to terms, I mean when you recovered to the best of your ability in hospital, that you now realise that you were were paralysed. How did you cope with that, Martin? I know you've said now, you know, you've appreciated that life is more important than worrying about, you know, what you can't do. You're just going to enjoy what you can do and you're going to do it to the best of your ability. It's obviously affected your life in, in, in many ways. I also read that, you know, at one point you went to Australia to have some treatment. Um, tell me about both of those things. Yeah, so I think obviously, you know, again, I, I don't remember a lot from uh, my time in Manchester, uh, but the, the 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 moments that I do remember is obviously the day that I was told. So I remember seeing my my mum and my, and my wife walk in, and, and a couple of doctors walk in, and they tell me that I'm paralysed and I'm not going to walk again. But again, just going back to what I said before, I was just so happy to be alive that actually, you know, even even though I've not got my legs, I'll take it. And 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 there were so kind of shocked because I said, right, well, you've got that over with. What do we do next? And, they, and they're kind of going, what do you mean? I was like, well, rehab, you know, what, 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 what's next? And it was like, you know, and I've since seen my medical records. And even when I was at the spinal unit, they were saying, like, we've never seen this type of recovery before. Uh, you know, he didn't have a meltdown. He's just accepted it. And, and we don't know if a meltdown will occur in the future, but we've never seen it. But I said to him, how many people have you had in here that have been involved in a terrorist attack and thought they were dying? And I said, it's a totally different thing. You probably will ne- hopefully you'll never see it again. But I said, that's, you know, I'm, I'm just so happy to be here because there's 22 families where they're not, you know what I mean? So even though I'm only 
kind of half, you know, it's I've not got my legs, I've still got my arms, I've still got my brain, I've still got my mouth. I'm still me. I can still do everything. I did have a. I did have a bit of. I, I hesitate. I thought you were going to say I've still got my looks. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but no, I was just honestly, and, and it probably it, there's a bit of a cliche, but I was just so happy to be alive, experiencing what I'd experienced on May the twenty second, and the carnage and and the devastation. You know, to to and, and even when I talk about it now, when I see the pictures and where we were, and I just like. It's just it's it's a mind it's just a mind boggle. I, I I'm even here like talking to you. So so that that's why I, I I am who I am. And you know, like I say, it was the way that I was brought up, and it was why I was success, successful. Because even in the darkest times, there's always opportunity, and and that's what I always you know when when things didn't go to plan, there was always opportunity, and there was always me there. You do you know what I mean? So even before I was injured. I was always successful in whatever I did. I'm not saying I didn't fail or I didn't do things right, but I always learned from it and, and made sure it didn't happen again. And I was never one of these who gave myself a hard time when I failed. I saw failure just as important as success because it got you to the next level. And I never gave myself a hard time. I didn't mind failing. And My, my granddad always used to say to me when I was little, because my mum always used to say, oh, I can't wait for my ship to come in. And my granddad always used to say, look, Martin, never wait for your ship to come in. Row out and meet it. And that's what I've always done. If I want something, I'll go out and get it, and I'll work bloody hard for it. You know what I mean? I've never been one to expect things on a silver platter. I'm always, you know, the clothes I wear, the the technology that I have. Whenever I look at things, I'm always sat there with a big smile on my face because, like, you know what? I've earned that. Do you know what I mean? And you know what I mean. I've I've never been one to to get things for free or or to get things on a, on a silver platter. It's just not how I was brought up. You know, uh, my mum and dad had good jobs. You know, we had a good house, but we we were always. You know, we were never given things. We had to earn it. You know, whether it was doing chores around the house or washing the car or you know what I mean. It was like, well, if you want that, you've got to earn it. You know what I mean? And that's how. You know, I, I've always lived, you know, I got my first paper round when I was 10 because I wanted my own money, you know what I mean, where a lot of my friends were just given kind of pocket money and stuff. Well, I didn't want that. I wanted my own money. So I had a morning paper round. I had to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and, and do a paper round. So I've always I worked in a restaurant washing dishes. Uh, I've always been – I've always worked hard. I've, I've never been one to – you know, kind of go. Oh, I'll, I'll take the easy route. I've always, if I want something, I'll, I'll earn it. You know, and and is that one of the reasons why you went out to Australia because you th- there was hope in what they could offer that that you couldn't get here in the UK. Yeah, there's there's a bit of a story around it. Uh, so hopefully you, you don't mind me uh, kind of talking about it. Uh, and it actually starts a few months before the bomb. Believe it or not. Um, so uh, there's a gentleman called Steve Cook who's become a, a good friend, and he was spinal cord injured. He was a professional triathlete. He was knocked off his bike by a lorry, uh, pretty much like broke everything in his body, left for dead, and again survived. Did his own research, paid to go out to Australia, and a journalist did a um, a piece on him in a. Uh, like a triathlete magazine, whatever it is. And she became very close to Ken, who does the treatment in Australia. So when the bomb went off, Ken obviously saw that it was England, reached out to Fiona and said, look, just want to get in touch and just say, look, hope you and your family are okay and nobody you know has been affected by it. But if you hear of somebody that is affected by it and needs my help, I want to help. And that, that discussion was you know, a couple of days after, before I even knew him. It wasn't until August I did an interview with, I think it was The Times, and Fiona read it, rang Ken and said, I think I found somebody. His name's Martin. He was severely injured and his spinal cord injured. So Ken said, well, if, if he can get out here, I'll help him. So again, me being me, uh, a couple of weeks after spending six months in hospital, I'm booking a flight over to Brisbane, uh, a 24-hour flight over to Brisbane, uh, but Steve Cook, the guy that I mentioned that had a similar injury to me, walked through my living room. That was all I needed. Wow. That was all I needed. He said, right, what do you want to ask me? I said, I don't want to ask you anything. I've seen what I need to see. Wow. Uh, so that that's where it all comes around. And then, you know, Ken, I've been out, I've been out twice 
first time I went out for three weeks, uh, but I knew with the results that I got after three weeks, I knew that I, I would have to go for a longer period. So in 2019, I went for four months, three of which I was on my own out there, which was quite scary because uh, it was the first time that I'd been on my own in a wheelchair. And obviously I was 12,000 miles away, but I was stood up. I, I kissed my wife stood up for the first time in two wow. years. I got my legs moving. I was doing leg curls. I was doing leg presses. I sent the videos to my spinal consultant and he said, Martin, you're either on drugs or you're doing something very stupid. And I was like, no, I'm doing neurophysics. And I've seen people walk that have spinal cord injuries. Unfortunately, COVID stopped me going out for the last couple of years, which is obviously frustrating. But as soon as the borders open, I'm I'm back out. So you're pretty hopeful that the work Ken can do for you might get you at least using your legs in a way you've not been able to use. I'll tell you you something now. When I went out in 2019, there was uh, two Australians out there, uh, a guy called Alex and a guy called Sam. Alex sent me a video, both spinal cord injured, very similar to me. Uh, I saw Alex about 10 days ago walk with sticks. That's incredible. So part of me was shouting, but part of me was going, that should be me. I, I should be doing that. And no doubt it will be in, in time. I mean, yeah. how how long are you expect? I mean, how long is a piece of string? But I mean, how long are you expect? I'm excited by the idea because it's inspiring yeah. Uh, not not just for you to to sort of you know get the other half of you working, but also because you didn't become that person, Martin, which is what I admire most. Um, you know, not only did you protect your daughter, not only have you done the best you could as a father, but you didn't go into that corner where lots of people do go. You know, because they can't see a way out, and whether they turn to drink or they oh, just become that spinal unit. I, I didn't want to be like that. You know, I'm sure you have your moments. Everybody does when they've gone through, a, and and that's fair. But I, I find it really inspiring that you are doing everything you possibly can to help yourself and not rely on others. No, exactly. And I, I, I want to everything that I do now. I want to inspire, I want to motivate, and I want to educate. You know, I'm a trustee now at the Spinal Injury Association, which I'm obviously very proud to be doing. Uh, I should be climbing Kilimanjaro in September, but I think COVID's going to going to impact that. So all everything that I do now is... Hold on, hold on. How do you climb Kilimanjaro w- w- without your legs working as proper as they could be? Well, you should know me by now. I mean, even though we've been talking, what, 50 minutes? You should know me. No, nothing stands in my way. Well, I want to raise a million pounds for the Spinal Injuries Association. So everything that we're doing, we, we climbed Penafan in Wales last month. We're doing Snowdon next month. And then Is this something, are these things you were involved in before what happened to you happened? No. So you've taken inspiration. No, I've never climbed a mountain in my life. But uh, as, as part of this feat, what I want to do is change the perception that we have in the UK of disabled people. I hate it. You know, people. Is, are, is it bad? Is 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 the perception I'm, of? I'm, I'm written off before I even open my mouth when, when I go somewhere because I'm in a wheelchair. But I tell you now, I'm stronger than most able-bodied people. I tell you, you know, I'm I'm written off. But but the but the UK, I I can't just go to Manchester Piccadilly now and get on a train. You know, I'll ring up some restaurants. I'll ring up some some hotels. You know, very good hotels, and I'll be told, I'm re- I'm sorry, Mister Hibbert. Uh, uh, the steps at the front, we don't have a lift, we can't get you in. Or, I'm sorry, Mr. Hibbert, we don't have accessible rooms in our hotel. Uh, I've got to give 24 hours notice to travel on a train so that a man can come out with a ramp. I can't just go down to my local village and catch a bus because they're not made for disabled people. Has there been progress, though? I know there's been... There, there hasn't. Because there's, there's the- like, you know, like, say, like the Metrolink transport system. But, you know, I come to London and it's a pain. You know, I can't use the tube system, you know, so I have to travel around on taxis because the pavements don't have gradients up and down or or it's just cobbles. Uh, so it's almost, if I want to go anywhere, I can't just rock up. I've got to ring. I've got to get pictures. I've almost got to do like a, it's almost like a military exercise. You know, can I get in? You know, is there a ramp? Can I get my chair under the table? Are there disabled toilets? You know, all these things that, you go to Australia, never have to think about it. It's there. It's done. It's all catered for. It's still like you're in a third world country. And it's like, God, I'm just in a wheelchair. That's all. 
that's what I want to change. You know, I, I've lived, I'm very lucky, I've lived 40 years of my life as an able-bodied man. Why should that change just because I'm in a wheelchair? And I get really angry about it, as you can probably see. So Kilimanjaro, it's not about me. It's not about the arena. It's about, you know what, when you invest in disabled people, look what they can do. They can do things that able-bodied people can't even do. And that's what Kilimanjaro is about. And when I'm at the top, when I'm at the summit with the Paralympic torch, because we're taking up a Paralympic torch from London 2012, when I'm up there and when I've got the world, I call it my Marcus Rashford moment. I want the the country to come behind me and go, how do we treat disabled people in the UK? We, We treat them like that, do we? Not anymore. And then I can lobby government and say, right, from today onwards, this is how we treat people with spinal cord injuries or this is how we treat disabled people. We give them the love, care and support that I've had to live a fulfilled life. Not everybody that's disabled or has a spinal cord injury gets that. And, and that's what's wrong. Uh, there's people with spinal cord injuries that aren't getting the care and support that I got. They're just getting sent home. Uh, and it's wrong. And, and that's that, that's not happening anymore. And that's what Kilimanjaro is about. Uh, and it's about me changing the perception that we have in this country about disabled people. And we've still got we've still got things that we can do. We've still got a lot to give. And you know what? We've got a lot of money that we want to spend as well. Um, so it's about time people start uh, embracing us and, and making life a bit easier for us, you know, because I, I, it's, it's what makes me feel disabled. The way people react to you and, and what facilities are available and not available. Exactly. That's interesting. That, that's really interesting. You know, it, that's, that's what makes me disabled. You know, in my head, I'm the same person. You know, I drive a Range Rover Sport, which the people at the Spinal Unit said I won't be able to do. Uh, I'm still a football agent. I'm now a trustee at the Spinal Injuries Association. I do motivational talking all over the country. I'm probably more busy now than I was before I was injured. But that's because of the love, care and support that I've had. You know, and I, I'm telling people, look, if you if you do this and you do that and you have a positive mental attitude, you can live the life that you want. You might need to do things differently. You might need support. You might need an adaption. For me to drive, there's a I have a, an adapted like push and pull system on my steering wheel, uh, which controls the brake and the acceleration. Now I won't be able to drive without that because I can't use my feet. So I have an automatic car, but I have a push and pull system to accelerate and to brake. Without that, I won't be able to drive. But because of that, I can drive, and I drive all over the country. And, and was it a challenge to get that put into a car like a Range Rover Sport, or is that something that the Land Rover, no, Range Rover no. do? Yeah, there's a, so, there's a, so that is progress itself. So they are catering for, for these kinds of necessities. Of course. Um, when, I think, you know, there, there are, you know, technology and you know, some of, the, some of the things that I see, you know, and, and again, you know, being being a trustee, I get to hear about some of the research and some of the things that are uh, hopefully coming within, you know, five, ten years. That there are some major uh, things coming, you know, and, and the Christopher Reeve Foundation in America is a, is a big part of that. You know, the, the money that they put into research and, you know, trials and, 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 and things like that. I mean, you know, there, there is... That they're they're pretty certain that certainly within the next probably twenty years that there'll be some there'll be some major breakthrough which will be so I'm, I'm just I just hope I'm alive to see it. Um, so yeah, I, I don't want to poo poo everything. You know, there are major breakthroughs, but you know there are still you know, and I'm talking about some very famous restaurants and hotels in London that, you know, I, I, I had to walk out, you know, uh, or wheel out, should I say? I had to wheel out. Uh, because it was just, I, I, I don't want to feel disabled. And do you think it's more of an image thing for them that they don't want people in their restaurant? Because it, it, it wouldn't cost them an arm and a leg to put a ramp in or to make a space in the corner of one of these posher restaurants where uh, people who have walking disabilities or, or other disabilities, I'm not saying that the corner is for the disability person, but I mean, if they put the facilities there, then people could come and enjoy a meal in the same way everybody else does. Because as you said at the very beginning, you've got your arms, your mouth, your brain, you just need to be able to get into the restaurant where it's not as easy as it, it once was for you. It seems incredible. Definitely. But I, I know when I when I go out, because I do, I do go out a lot with like, my best friend, Steve, we're we, we, we like shopping and, and going out and eating and, and just having a good time. 
And it's very rare that I see other people in wheelchairs. And, and like, just have a look yourself next time that you're out. You know, the amount of people that you see that are disabled, and, and it's not because they don't want to. It's because they probably can't get out. They might not be able to drive. They might not feel comfortable with a, a push-pull system in the car. They might not have the hands, you know what I mean? Uh, but they can't get a they can't get a bus. They can't get a, a taxi. They have to rely on somebody to take them into town. And then when they get into town, they see that, you know, cars are parked in disabled bays that aren't disabled. Uh, so they've got nowhere to park. And, and, and you'll know, you know, parking in a normal space, it's hard enough for an able-bodied person to get out. So if you've got to get a wheelchair in, it's impossible. Uh, and then you find that the lift's broken, you know, so they, they can't get from one floor to another. Well, they can't get down the steps, you know. These are the things that I encounter every day. And it's, oh, I'm sorry, sir, that lift's broken. Yeah, but it was broken two months ago. Why, why is it not fixed? Do, do you know what I mean? And, it, and, it, and that's the perception. Like, we disabled people in the UK, we, we know they exist, but we don't do anything about it. And we're quite happy. We're quite happy to use disabled toilets. We're quite happy to park in disabled bays. Oh, well, I was only going in for five minutes. doesn't matter. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and I challenge people now. Uh, and I'll say, look, you know, when 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 I wasn't injured, I could hold my bladder. You know, now when I go to the toilet, I've got to go to the toilet. I can't wait for an able-bodied person to come out of the disabled toilet just because they didn't want to queue or it's easier. Do you know what I mean? I'll have a wet patch. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and 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 that's the thing. We we have a oh sorry mate, I, 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 you know I didn't realise you were sat outside. Well, you shouldn't be using it in the first place. Do, do you know it's, what I mean? It's so interesting hearing you talk about these things that we witness on a daily basis. And you're absolutely right. I'm guilty of it, as is everybody. I've I've been I've been sat at a lift for ten minutes, and the doors open, and it's full of able-bodied people that can quite easily walk upstairs. None of them get out. You know what I mean? And I'll sit there and I'll go, right, well, I'll get the next one then. And then that'll go up. And, it, and it's just like, it's just that perception that we have. You know what I mean? It's just like... T- t- tell me what you think. It, it's interesting because sometimes, and I'm guilty of this as, as as I suspect everybody is to some extent, and you probably were before you were d- disabled. But what do you think about the fact that sometimes we, and this is the perception thing, and I'm just asking your opinion, where we sometimes think... Well, that person thinks that because they're disabled, they deserve the priority. And I'm not talking about going into a disabled toilet or using a disabled facility that we shouldn't be using because it gets in the way of you using it. But what's your response to people who think that sometimes that, well, you know, you want to be treated normal, but because you're disabled, you think you should get priority. And that's not right. What what should we be thinking? I don't think I should have priority, and, and that's not, like I say, I, I don't think I'm a special case whatsoever, but I know if it was me being in the lift and I saw somebody in a wheelchair, I'd get out. That That's the difference. So, yeah, I would get a lift, but if I saw a disabled person, I, I certainly wouldn't stay in there. And, and I've, I've, you know, I'm, I'm on forums. I, I've, seen, I've seen disabled people get on trains and people are sat on the disabled seats and they don't even move. Do you know what I mean? Or there's a bike where... Were, were a disabled place and they don't move it you know that that's the difference you know that the, the, the you know that that's all we're not asking for special treatment just want you people to be more conscious of, of yeah. when there is a sign saying this just is human for... beings you know what i mean and that's all it is we just want to be treated as a human being we're not asking for privilege or you know but that that space there is for disabled people you know what i mean or that's where you know, a disabled person, it's not for a bike or for a dog or, or for anything else, you know, or for luggage, you know what I mean? And it's the fact of, you know, when you see a disabled person, you move it, you know what I mean? Because that's where they sit, you know what I mean? That, that's That's been made for them to feel human and to not feel palmed off or to not feel part of society because that's that's how I feel. And, and I think by by sharing your experience and and, and expressing these 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 thoughts, I, I'm sure more people will, and I hope, become more aware of it. And just just take that split second to realise when they put their bag down or park their bike that they hear people like you say why it's important that they they don't. Can I can I ask a, a really difficult question, Martin? What, what do you miss about not? Being able, you said, you know, you were an able man. You still are, but I mean, different. 
But what do you miss about the able man you were for 40 years? In other words, being able to walk and use your legs to do all the things that you're not able to do without your legs at the moment functioning the way they once did. I'm glad, I'm glad you've asked it because it, it, it's not a question that people ask me a lot, believe it or not. And, and, and there's, there's, there's some, it's probably what upsets me the most and, and probably what I won't. You, you get your head around not walking pretty quick when you're, when you're in hospital. The things that you don't, and hopefully you don't mind me talking about this because some, some of it isn't nice, but again, part of my motivate, educate, inspire, you know, if people don't know about it, we can't, we'll never move on. So as part, I've got to be honest about life is it with a spinal cord injury. Do you know what I mean? It's it's not all a bed of roses. You know, I can't, the way that I have a Wii or a number two is totally different. Do you know what I mean? I need machinery to do that. That's what I miss. You know, for me to go on the toilet now and to have a shower probably takes an hour, whereas before it had been five, ten minutes. You know, I miss that. When I'm, when I'm having a bad day, that's what I'll cry about when, when my bowels aren't working or I have an accident, you know, and my wife has to clean me up. You know, that that's what I cry about. It's not my legs. That's what I cry about. Uh, loss of sexual function, that's a real thing. I, I don't think I'll ever get my head around that. You know, yes, there's pills that you can take and things like that. But, you know, sometimes you just want to be in the moment. You don't want to have to go, right, well, do you know what? Just hold it there. Just give me 30 minutes. Let me just pop this and let's carry it. You know what I mean? Those are the those are the things that are personally, you know, and I, I don't mind talking about it. Uh, those are the things that, that upset me. I cry about uh, and I, I probably will always cry about when I, when I speak to my fellow spinal cord injured uh, friends you know, some that are 50, 60, 70, you never get over that. You know, those are the things that uh, you, you don't get over. Uh, I miss walking my dog, Alfie. Uh, sometimes he looks at me as well to say, come on, Dad, you know, and, and I'm gutty because we, we, we'd go out every day for two or three hours and we'd I'd let him off the lead and, and I miss that. And, and we can still do it in a way, but again, just having that, just having that freedom and, you know, just that ability to go anywhere. You know, I, I, I just don't have that freedom. The, the, the world isn't always accepting of a, a, a man or a woman in a wheelchair. You know, there's hills, there's gates, there's there's holes, there's there's barriers, there's fences. You know, uh, the, there's 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 steps. You know, and and not always there's a route uh, for 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 a wheelchair. Um, so they're probably the, the, the biggest things. You know, I, I still go to the football. You know, I tell you what, what, one of the things that has surprised me is the is football and football stadia. You know, their their acceptance of being disabled is amazing. Like Old Trafford, like, and again, not being biased. Uh, I mean, even Anfield. Anfield was the first disabled section that I went in. Unbelievable. I felt like a king. Uh, and you won't get many United fans saying that out of the But actually, I went to Old Trafford and I was really proud. I was really proud. I'm, I'm, I'm a proud red anyway. But I just thought, you know what? I'm really proud that United have, have embraced me as a disabled fan. They've given me my own disabled cafe where the counters are lower. You know, just little things like that that makes a difference. I thought about it. You know what I mean? Where I'm not, you know, you've got some horse counters and I'm kind of here like, hello. You know, you know, just little things like that. The, you know, you the, there's not steps. Everything's flat, and I go straight out into uh, the terraces where there's there's a spot for a wheelchair and there's a care seat, and it's all done. They have a they have a waiter service, you know, where they come and bring food, so you don't have to carry it. Uh, they bring out blankets for people that are cold because we feel the cold a lot more. They've just thought about everything, and I love that uh, that football does that. You know, a lot of it goes under the radar, you know, what, what they do in the community, what, what they do for disabled people. And um, I, I've been I've been really proud of, of Man United. Well, it's good. And, and I can hear it in your voice and you're no doubt a, a mascot. My t- just two final questions, just just in terms and, and I hope this is not too personal, just, you know, you and Eve together now, you know, it's something that no doubt you've together had to relive these moments you've had. I hope a conversation with each other about that day it must still be really, really difficult. I can't imagine. Well, just recently, because she's not been able to talk about it just because of the uh, 
the trauma and where she was mentally. So we, we've only we, we've only just started talking about it over the last twelve months. Well, I hope that conversation has not been too painful, and and that you you can continue to move forward together in in shining a light on what life is like for you now, but also sharing the positivity and the inspiration that 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 comes from. I can hear it. I can I can hear the sadness. I can hear the struggles. I can hear the challenges. But what shines through more than anything is your inspiration martin and i know that's not an easy thing to to keep standing up and trying to inspire people by saying look i've come through it because as you said there are some real challenges and i really do appreciate you sharing some of those intimate personal challenges that you face but i think as you rightly said when people hear the truth then for one moment they might recognize how the things they do, not getting in that lift, not using the disabled toilets can make a huge difference. And it's testimonies like yours that make people think more carefully about that. What does what does second chance mean to you? Do you believe you've been given a second chance? I mean, is that the right term for what you would say is a part of your life? I don't know if it's a second chance. I just I just think I've I've survived for a reason and I and I and I think, you know, as I said to you before, I think my the reason for me surviving is to change the the life of people of disabled people, people with spinal cord injuries. You know, I've got I've got a story uh, that you know can inspire, can motivate, can educate. And I've seen over the last four years, you know, people want to interview me. They want me to to be on telly. They want me to they want to hear my story, uh, and it does. You know, the amount of messages that I get after I've delivered a speech or I've been on TV where people said, you know what, you've changed my outlook. You know, it can be I, I've, I, I hug my children a lot more. I, 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 I've changed the way that I work. I don't work as much now, you know. Or I'll, uh, the, the, the one that I get a lot is I've been stuck in traffic today, but you know what, after hearing you on the radio, uh, you know, I'll, I'll quite happily stay in here for another hour. Do you know what I mean? And it, again, it's just... Again, we're just so transfixed, aren't we? And I, I was the same before I was injured. You know, blinkers, you know, what you've got to do every day. And, and you know, you, you just do it, you know. And, and before you know it, it's the weekend and you're like, what, what's happened? You know, it was like Groundhog Day every day, you know, because you're just so blinkered with kind of what you've got to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just society and, and the world that we live in. You know, just everything's got to be done at rush, rush and... You know, whereas now everything that I've been through now, I, I call it Martin Hibbert Mark Two because I'm just totally different to what I was before. You know, where I was, I was like I wanted to, you know, hit everything out of the park and succeed and be the best and have the best car and the best house, have the best holiday, and you know, like, whereas now it's just, you know, I, I used to get really like when I was in traffic, or I'd, I'd be so angry, you know, like where now I just like. You know, all right, two hours, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm just, I'm just so laid back. Like nothing, nothing, nothing worries me. I just, I just worry about today and and, and what I've got in front of me. Like I say I, I don't worry about what I did yesterday because I can't change it, and I don't know what the past's going to look like tomorrow. I can maybe change it with what I do today, uh, but I worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow when I wake up, you know, all I worry about today is living today to the full because I might not be here tomorrow, you know, like I was at the arena, all the plans that we've made, all the savings and all the plans that we've made for our future could have gone in an instant, you know. My wife says I say it just so I can buy expensive watches and cars and things. <laughs> but I just say, look, if you want something and it's going to make you happy, you do it because you might not be here tomorrow to buy it, you know. It's such an important message and, and I totally agree. And yeah, I, I, I hear you and, and I agree with you. Martin, thank you so much for, for sharing your story. And, and I wish you all the best, um, not just for the mountains that you're climbing physically, but the mountains that you're climbing uh, you know, psychologically, but also in, in the work that you do to, to, to inspire and motivate people um keep smiling the way you're smiling at me right now mate because you you are making a difference and and i hope that when people hear this they they realize not just the challenges but 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 also the hero that you your daughter and and the other survivors are especially for the families who lost loved ones you know they need to know that there is more so thank you so much for sharing your story martin thank you and uh, yeah see you soon 
As you heard from Martin, in September this year, he'll be climbing Mount Kilimanjaro for the Spinal Injury Association. And if you want to show your support, please check out the links to his charity and his social media platforms in the description details from this podcast episode. Good luck, Martin. Thanks for listening to this episode and please share and follow us on social media. It'd be great if you could rate and review on the site where you listen to this podcast. And if you want to support or advertise on this show, please get in touch. If you think I should get someone on the show, drop me a direct message via LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or any other means you have to make contact. Audio editing is by Audio Avalanche. The original music is by J-Row Productions. The cover design work is by Studio Minerva. Our guest booker is Tegan Parsons. And me, your host, Raphael Rowe. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.